Welcome to the Wander Learn Podcast. I'm your host, Francis Tapon. This is episode three of four with Rafina Gure. In this episode, we talk about hunting, one of my most controversial topics that I talk about on this podcast. If you haven't heard the interview that I had with Brittany Longoria and some of the follow-on episodes regarding hunting, you just use your podcast app to search for my name and hunting or Wander Learn and hunting, and you'll find a bunch of podcasts about that subject. They are my most downloaded episodes for whatever reason, I guess because they're controversial. Finally, we end with the question about whether in the 22nd century, statues of meat eaters will be removed from the face of the earth. I hope you like this podcast and don't forget to subscribe to my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Become a patron at patreon.com slash ftapon and leave me a review wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks again and enjoy this episode with Rafina Gray. podcast where I interview. It's actually my most popular and most downloaded episode. It's one where I interview Brittany Longoria. So you just search for Brittany Longoria and or leopard uh, hunter, and you'll find that episode. And to briefly summarize, this is a woman who killed a leopard, hunted a leopard in Namibia. She legally paid $45,000 or so to hunt and kill this leopard. And she got her photo effectively stolen from her, her where she's holding mm-hmm. up the le- leopard. And she got a lot of flack because that photo of her holding up the leopard on social media, and a lot of people went after her and just utterly insulted her in every possible way that you can imagine. And mm-hmm. I interviewed her and I highly encourage anybody who's listening to this podcast to listen to that podcast. And then later on, Rejoice and I debated it after in a separate podcast after that. But here's my question. You got a chance to listen to that podcast. What is your take mm-hmm. on hunting? I think there's so much merit in, in what Brittany says about wanting to tell her story of her experience as a huntress. I, I do think it is sort of a male-dominated activity in our country and maybe defies like expectations about gender roles and stereotypes. So I think she's got an important story to tell. And for that, like, I have a lot of respect. I grew up in a household where my father was both a hunter and a fisherman. And I think he hoped that his children would follow in his footsteps. And we all kind of became fisher people. But hunting was sort of this thing that I couldn't wrap my brain or my heart or my spirit around, I guess. There is a need to... What I love about, okay, so let me rewind. What I love about people who hunt with respect for the animals that they hunt is is that they're doing the dirty work that we don't do on a daily basis if we're eating meat and purchasing it from a grocery store. So on that level, I think hunting is more sort of a genuine connection to the loss of life that happens for our benefit And my own father was really in tune with nature, really loved animals and birds. And his uh, relationship to hunting came out of his experience in a third world country, having to hunt for food for, you know, sustaining a family, his, his siblings and parents. But even he drew the line in certain places, like growing up, one of the stories in our household uh, was of his experience hunting monkeys because monkeys can be a delicacy. I think people eat the brains of monkeys as well for protein, right? And 
my father's own experience with with hunting monkeys was shooting this larger monkey in the in the forest for food um, for a troop of hunters and then coming upon like why this monkey was holding on so tightly to this branch and when they got closer to it they realized the monkey was holding a baby monkey and both had perished in in the shooting and my father never hunted monkeys again and and it was because he realized how human that animal really is and i think there are moments of recognition when we can see our connection to animals and i guess this is one of the reasons why i say i will be vegan at some point uh, but in the meantime you know i try to eat meat with a certain level of reverence that i think hunters who really understand what the hunt is about and and hunters who use the food to eat as opposed to game sport that that there's a big distinction for me in that and you know i guess if you're talking about the morality of hunting you have to also question the morality of mass producing beef in ways that are inconsistent with the natural laws of nature, right? My most recent podcast is about regenerative farming uh, with Will Harris of White Oak Pastures. And he really kind of helps people walk through how they can farm sustainably um, and how they can kind of treat the animals with a certain level of respect for their needs um, to avoid the general stresses that come with what we have currently in the in, you know large scale beef industry. So I do care about people having an understanding of all the different ways in which we relate to our food. So I think it's important for her to keep talking about her story and for people to think critically about whether they agree or disagree with what she's doing. I, I do think like your comment about ego and how much ego is wrapped up in these trophy poses, right? I think there's something to be said about that. glorifying the kill to me is not something that I'm necessarily in favor of. You know, I think to honor the animal would be to take the time to eat the food with a level of reverence and appreciation for the sacrifice made. So I feel that way about it, but I'm, I'm not in a place to judge anybody else who needs a certain level of, or has a certain level of attachment to the notches in the belt, I guess, about which thing they've killed most recently. And I'm not so sure. I haven't followed her on Instagram, so I don't really know if if there is anything like that for her. So I can't really comment too far about that. Yeah, she has changed her Instagram images in accordance to some of the feedback she's gotten and, and has decided to take a more a kind of a reverence in her photos mm. to kind of show respect to the animal and that kind of stuff. There's one uh, minor mm. disagreement I would have with you when you said either the difference between hunters who hunt for meat versus those who hunt for trophies, uh, there's, there's I, not to my knowledge, I'm sure they exist, but in general, it's exceedingly rare that a hunter will kill an animal and not have the meat consume. In other words, just to discard the meat 100%. They personally mm-hmm. might not eat the meat, personally, mm-hmm. in some cases, but they mm-hmm, will mm-hmm. usually donate it to the local villagers or whoever yeah. lives nearby. So the meat, whether it's a giraffe, a hippopotamus, an elephant, a tiger, a lion, all that meat, even though you and I may not eat it and you won't buy it at a grocery store, it's, according to lots of people, buffalo meat tastes great. <laughs> and and mm-hmm. this is 
So this notion that I think a lot of amateurs have, or just people who don't know hunting very well, they think that we just kill meat and just let it sit there and die or just grab the head and stick the trophy on our wall and that's it. So there's that, I just want to clarify that. Yeah. I, and I heard that in that podcast mm-hmm. and I'd say that I, I think that the, for me in my mind, part of the thing that concerns me still is that there are poachers out there who consider themselves hunters. Oh, right. And some of them are definitely wasting the meat, um, even in the Pacific Northwest. Absolutely right. We see people taking like the seal skins and leaving the flesh. Absolutely. And And they'll do that with elephants and their tusks. Yeah. They'll just kill the elephant and just take the tusks and leave the elephant body to rot. Yeah. Um, If you want to be as, you know, again, trying to defend hunters, that's the funny thing is here I'm a vegan, I'm defending hunters all the time. But- (laughs) Trying to defend them is is in the sense that it's, again, not as if the food is going to waste. In other words, there's a right. ton of right. scavengers who come in and de- devour sure. the elephant yeah. and you're feeding the vultures, the hyenas, the whoever else, that, and the microbes and the, and the other sure. rodents that come and devour whatever there. So nothing is getting wasted in nature in that sense. Right. Yeah. But, but human beings are not eating that meat for sure. Uh, that's That's mm-hmm. certain. But here's the thing is I think that, well, let me ask you first this. What do you think about, there's many different terms for it, lab-grown meat or clean meat or that kind of mm. stuff. What is your take on that phenomenon? And for those who don't know, they're kind of using animal cultures, uh, sorry, animal biology and basically reproducing it into a lab so that you can have a hamburger without ever having to actually grow a cow in order to make the hamburger. Yeah. So it tastes identical to a hamburger, Right now, they're very expensive. A hamburger cost that's lab-grown is cost over $1,000, so it's prohibitively expensive. But they're working on technology to bring that down. And do you, do you bristle at the idea of having lab-grown meat on your plate? Yeah, I do. <laughs> I do bristle at it. I, I would, you know, I guess part of it is I, I spent time as a corporate biotech attorney, um, you know, learning about different technology and you know, sometimes the unintended consequences of things, particularly in the area of science. And, you know, I probably the people I used to work with would really <laughs> think that I've gone off the deep end. But why why try to make something as good as nature can make it, right? Why are we following that purpose exactly, except that we think we need to have a hamburger, right? If you're interested in... I mean, I think you could just be vegan if you're worried about animal treatment, right? Like you just make a different kind of commitment as opposed to focusing on this purpose of of making a sort of a humane, cruelty-free meat product. Because at the end of the day, you know, the natural design of, of food gives it the the nutrients because those animals have innate intelligence in terms of what to eat. So if we were not to talk about meat, we would talk about salmon. I have a podcast where Jessica Plum, who is the producer of Return of the River, talks about salmon forests and how things are shifting in the salmon population with their size and things like that because it's being overfished. And that that salmon, you know, swims upstream and the the bears eat it and then they disperse the the salmon carcasses because they used to just take the bellies when they were very large and eat them. And then you can look at the the makeup of the the forest and find the compounds that are directly from salmon in the trees. And to me, that's a remarkable thing that there's sort of a, a natural cycle of nutrition happening 
in our ecosystems that, you know, until I had that conversation with Jessica, I did not even know about. And to think that we have almost that, um, I don't know, universal, you know, intelligence to try and encapsulate it in a synthesized product I think we can always kind of approach that. It's it's like having a parabola, right? You can approach it, but you're never going to quite get it exactly right. And and so I would say that you might get something you can eat calorically. You might get something that will have some nutritional value, but will it be as good for you as the natural product? I think not. and And I don't know what the cascade of response in the body will be. Because like even at a genetic level, right, we have the the same amino acids we share in common, right? Like the building blocks of our muscle come from these proteins that we're ingesting. So when you tell me you're giving me a synthesized product, what I know is that my body may not know what to do with that because it's not naturally found, right? Like we were hunters and gatherers first, so I guess that that would be my my take on it. It's maybe it's conservative, but but I just I guess that's the intuitive part of preferring to move towards the simplicity of things, right? To to go and forage the berries out of the forest if I can, as opposed to moving towards synthesized foods, processed foods. There's been some books written about the chemistry of cooking. I'm sure you've read mm. some of them, haven't you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of my favorite is Harold McGee's on cooking. Okay, I don't. I haven't, I haven't read any. I just know that this is a thing. There's a science to cooking. Yeah. I mean, literally down yes. to the chemistry level. And they talk mm-hmm. about temperature and and cells and everything. I mean, just like it's amazing the level of detail that they go into. But my point is, is that ultimately, a piece of meat or fruit or whatever is a collection of atoms, and it's a scaffold mm-hmm. put together that create a cell. And that cells put together in a certain way and a combination of proteins and fat and uh, carbohydrates that all conglomerate into making whatever food that we ingest. So ultimately, mm-hmm. the building blocks are, you know, these cells or, and, and atoms. So mm-hmm. my question is, is if we are able to just reproduce it, we have, let's say, nanotechnology that we can mm. rep- by block by block and reproduce block by block whether it be a banana or whether it be a piece of cow or pork, why would that be any different or bad for you, any worse or any different in any mm-hmm. kind of way than eating a mm-hmm. quote-unquote natural uh, mm-hmm. banana or, or pig? I'd like to take a minute to tell you about another podcast I think you'll enjoy. If I've learned anything about you, it's that you want real talk about the world around you. That's why I think you'll like the podcast Out Travel the System, brought to you by Expedia. It's taking a transparent look at what it's like to travel these days, whether it's through stories from people who have continued cautiously traveling through the pandemic or by staying tuned to the very latest news from the industry. OutTravel the System is backed by a solid foundation of data from Expedia, which means it can guide listeners through the best ways to maximize their travel budgets. 
The podcast is providing inspiration by talking to people who have made travel a central part of their lives, from professional travel bloggers to travel journalists and beyond. This season features U.S. destinations like Chicago, Boston, and New York, as well as international locations like Spain and France. The episodes will guide you through when to go, where to stay, what to do, and everything else you need to know. Look for Out Travel the System on your favorite podcast platform and like and subscribe now. I think it reminds me of you know, how, how people endeavor to clone the sheep. Was it, was it Dolly? I can't yeah, remember Dolly. the name of the yeah. sheep. Yeah, it was Dolly. And that cloning process resulted in, you know, a live animal that had weakness, right? It, did, it didn't have a level of integrity in it. And I think that's one of those things where, you know, I guess in some ways it's like talking about inductive versus deductive reasoning, like building the blocks together and trying to make them fit is different than having something come out whole right, in the birthing process and innately having the coding. Like I, I kind of think of our genetics as like the computer coding for the supercomputer of our, our, our brains and our bodies. And that that's sort of a natural intelligence within each of our bodies, right? Like, but your, but your son didn't come out whole. I mean, in other words, he was a building blocks. It was a sperm and an egg that got together and started building and building and building. And all of a sudden, given nine months. And he, I mean, he's still changing every single day. He's shedding. Yeah, he's and, evolving. And he's evolving every single sure. day. You and I are, we have a, yeah. a new liver every nine months or whatever it is. So, right. um, so what, why can't we just reproduce that code? If you will, why can't we just, yeah. what's, what's wrong well, I with think that? we can. Okay. I don't, I, so, so for me, I don't, I don't think that there's anything wrong with it to each his own or her own, right. Or their own. But I don't want to eat it, mm. right? Because because I'm somewhat suspect, right? If I know that processed foods over time historically have not been so beneficial for the body, that the body hasn't known what to do with certain things, like even if we just take the example of hydrogenated fats, the body just doesn't know how to cope with certain things or eliminate certain things from the body as easily. And so until... You know, I'm convinced that this is exactly the same thing, right? Which I don't think it can be. I think it's the parabola situation. So you you would, I, is there any evidence that can make you convinced that it is the same thing? What would, what would you have to learn for you to say, give me one of those artificial lab grown, clean meat, whatever burgers, and I'll have one. You'd, you'd have to be able to produce the steer. <laughs> <laughs> from from the lab for me to believe it. And the, the, the steer would have to have the integrity, mm. you know, not a dolly. Because I, like, look, if we think about the body, right? Like every cell has like mitochondria that is functioning to create, that, that's the powerhouse of the cell. And those things, you know, amass in the structure of the body to, to create our emotion, to create, like all the things that happen in the body. Okay. And it, the the food on the plate when it comes from the lab doesn't have that architecture behind it, right? Okay, so hold on. Another thought experiment then, uh, okay. Rufina. Your son, somehow his liver completely fails, utterly fails, mm-hmm. and he's going to die in, mm-hmm. I don't know, a month. So mm-hmm. 
You have an opportunity. This is a horrible question, Francis. I'm it's a, a master horrible at question. horrible questions. This is my job. It's a horrible I just, question. I, I should refuse to answer it. <laughs> did, did, you ask, okay. did you hear what Pick I asked? Pick a different person. Do you remember I, I asked uh, Brittany Longoria, I asked her, what if I could, you know, like if we could kill your father? <laughs> remember I asked her that question? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Do you remember when I said, Francis, do you remember when I said no spikes? I just want to name this moment as a spike, Francis. It's a spike. It's a spike. Okay. All right. So imagine that I'm dying and I've got a liver missing liver. Okay. I would definitely um, work at finding you a liver. Okay. But and then there's a place, and, and let's say there's no natural livers available, but there's a technology for only five thousand bucks. You mm-hmm. can buy a lab-grown liver. Mm-hmm. And well, in that case, why not? Okay, so in that case, why not? And and it, because it, it's a it's a one-time shot, and it's a better answer than the alternative options. And mm-hmm. without it, you could not sustain life. So. So in that case, yes. But when you're talking about the um, kind of prolonged ingestion of a, a food product that may or may not be providing you with the nutrients you're expecting, right? Because it's people are giving equivalencies to these things that, you know, this lab-grown meat has the equivalency of anything sort of sourced naturally from the steer, right? I think that's where we come off being duped because... I would like to see more research done, right? In terms of what happens to people who are anemic, who are consuming like natural steaks with the B12s, totally bioavailable from that versus anemics who are eating the the laboratory meat. Like, can they get the same nutrition over time? Like what's really happening in the body? Is it the same thing? Is it really equivalent? And if if you put it out into the market and you say, well, it's good, but it's not really equivalent, and these are the things you might be missing, then I'm okay with it because then it's, you know, buyer beware. You're responsible for your own body and your own health. Can I ask you a non, a seemingly non-sequitur question? Sure. So did your husband, when he proposed to you, did he give you a diamond ring? Oh, so no, because okay. we decided we didn't want to be married. We're partners. Oh, okay, okay. Shh, shh, shh. Well, yeah, we were both divorced. <laughs> okay, okay. And happily divorced. Okay, okay, okay. And I mean, I guess you could consider it more conscious. We're conscious objectors. Okay, <laughs> fine, fine. Okay, that's level. fine. Um, so, <laughs> and no, I I have diamonds. Like you know, I think I probably have my old engagement ring from my previous wedding. Okay, and I don't want them. Okay. anymore. No, but I was what I was going to yeah. say is that I've asked this question sometimes to women that if they're their fiance gave them a diamond ring that was, sorry, a zirconian diamond ring. Would they be offended? In other words, would you rather have, let's say, an extra $10,000 in the bank and a cubic zirconian, which is, for all intents and purposes, is identical to the diamond that you would have gotten that cost $10,000? Or would you rather have, you know, the the, the diamond itself and be $10,000 poor? Yeah, so... I'm the wrong person to ask that question of Francis yeah, yeah, because so. I've never been a girly girl. That's why okay. I was playing volleyball with the men's right. team. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and then I guess the second thing, like I, I stopped wearing jewelry. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, maybe I wear it occasionally, but, and then I saw Blood Diamond. Oh, right. Right. Have you seen Blood Diamond? Yes, I have. So, so like once you see Blood Diamond, you're like, why would I be supporting the De Beers? And why would I <laughs> invest in this when yeah. there's a lot of like, 
really inherent problematic mm. things around the whole industry. Okay. So that's where I sit on that. I'm the wrong person. Okay, yeah, yeah. I would okay, take fine. the Zarconian. I would actually, I'd say, you know, you can keep your Zarconian. Let's okay. just get married. <laughs> okay. I don't need anything. In fact, I don't even right? need it's, the marriage not, either. <laughs> yeah, I don't even need the marriage. Throw it out right. the window. I commit to you every day, you know. Let's go back to your questions. You have more questions. Okay. Yeah, I do have more questions. And that concludes this episode of the Wander Learn podcast, where we explore travel, technology, and transformation. If you'd like to see the show notes with links to what we talked about, or if you'd like to comment on the show, or if you'd like to ask me a question, then go to wanderlearn.com and click on this episode. If you'd like to connect with me, just remember FTAPON. That's my first initial and my last name. FTAPON is the username I use on all social media. You can also get to my website by going to ftapon.com. And here's one last reason to remember FTAPON. If you like what I do and would like to get rewarded for supporting my projects, then go to patreon.com slash FTAPON. That's where you can pick up some remarkable rewards for as little as $2 a month. And now for five quick favors. Number one, subscribe to the Wander Learn podcast. Two, download it. Three, share it. Four, review it somewhere. And five, sign up for my newsletter at wanderlearn.com. Our theme music was composed by Eric Stratman. This is Francis Tapon encouraging you to wander and learn.